Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find a written version of this roundup with links to everything we're about to discuss. But before we get to our news for the week, we have a special guest here to tell us all about a new app that is supporting LGBT youth and their mental health. So I'm really happy that we're joined uh, this week on the podcast with a special guest, um, we have Deborah Levine from uh, LGBT Youth Link, which is a program of Centerlink. I'm here to talk about some uh, exciting uh, developments and initiatives that they have. So, hi, Deborah. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to, to have you, and things are going great. So, um, before we jump into kind of the news and um, and you sharing some updates on on some really cool services that you have, um, could you tell us just a little bit more about LGBT Youth Link for people who um, aren't uh, as as familiar with with the program and with its mission? Sure. So the mission of Youth Link very much mirrors the mission of CenterLink uh, to support, strengthen, and connect LGBTQ centers. But we really focus on the youth programs at those centers. Um, we know that about 83% of our centers have a youth program. It's one of the largest populations um, that we serve. And um, those folks need support. So that support can be technical assistance, coaching, consultations, training, um, but also bringing national resources to the table and identifying ways to help many centers at once. Um, and some of these resources I'm going to talk about today are examples of that. Great. And one of those um, just launched this week, right in time for Pride Month. Um, so you're definitely celebrating that in a big way. Uh, and it's a mental health app. Um, can you tell us uh, what it is and a little bit more about it? Sure. So I'll start with what it's called. It's called I Me. It's spelled I-M-I, and it's about I'm me. Um, it's really, <clears throat> excuse me, it's for LGBTQ plus teens to help explore their identity and support their mental health. And it is that idea that they're becoming themselves. Uh, and, and we did just launch on June 1st. We're very excited. We've been working on this for over two years. Um, and it's a series of four guides that are built for and with LGBTQ plus teens to help explore their identity. Um, it's science-backed. We also consulted researchers as well as those many youth um, to make sure that what we were providing them would really help them learn coping skills um, and affirm their queer identities and boost their mental health. Um, there's quite a few aspects to it. It's very interactive and really gives youth a chance to hear stories from real LGBTQ teens, um, do activities to think about their own identity and how they experience stress and how they might cope with that stress, as well as understanding internalized stigma and their gender. Wow, it sounds amazing. Looking forward to checking it out. Um, we have a lot of people, I think, who listen to the podcast um, and who read the blog who are involved in, in like research and, and LGBT programming themselves. So I'm curious, two years to develop this sounds really um, intense and exciting. What was it like to work on developing the app? And I'm especially curious about you know, working with youth to make sure that it, it meets what they what they need. Yeah, so we um, had a partner in this. There is an organization called Hope Lab, 
And their way of operating is to create digital products for nonprofits to then distribute. So we've been partnering with them for the last two years, and they've really taken on the, the heavy lifting of creating the app with our assistance. We engaged a lot of our LGBT centers across the country to engage you so that they can give feedback. Um, and they engage those youth at multiple levels um, and multiple times. So in the very early discovery phase of just understanding what youth might want, um, then a lot in the design phase as well. Um, there's, it's, it's an interesting thing to do, talk about it on a, a podcast. I definitely encourage you all to check it out. Um, imi.guide, I-M-I.G-U-I-D-E, because um, you can see the beautiful artwork is done by queer young artists. And then we also did a randomized control trial where we had young people use it and we sent, we looked into what the impact was and it was a good one. They were increasing their use of working skills. And then we also even tested the marketing with youth. So every stage of this um, has really engaged youth along with the researchers and adults who support youth to make sure that what's the ingredients we put into it um, were really going to help impact youth's lives. That's incredible. I mean, I know it's it's really hard, um, you know, even for for those of us with the best intentions sometimes, you know, to be able to engage youth and to have a really science backed process just because, you know, it takes it takes time and resources to do that well. So it's really um, exciting to hear about all of that work that went into it. And I'm sure that the final product will um, will show that. Um, now, I wanted to ask you about one other um, thing that you've been working on that we've covered here on the podcast a few times. So while I have you here, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about it. And that is QChat space. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that for folks who maybe, um, you know, missed that week of the podcast or want to learn more? And how do these two things kind of both work together to advance your, your mission? And especially at like this moment in time that we're in with the pandemic still going on and on and lots of other stressors and challenges uh, happening in the world. Sure. <clears throat> so we'll start with what QChat Space is. Um, it's a place online that provides anonymous, facilitated, supportive chats. There's a chat daily, um, and they are all facilitated by folks who work with LGBT centers. Um, this and IME really fit the mission of YouthLink and CenterLink because most of our centers wouldn't have the capacity to do this kind of resource, uh, providing anonymous support groups or creating an app. And so this is, becomes a product that any of our centers can really use as their own and promote as their own. Of course, anyone can use and promote it. The, the real end goal is to help youth in both of these, um, but certainly our centers to be able to more effectively help youth. Um, so the reason why we actually started to work on IME with Hope Lab is because when we launched QChat Space in the summer of 2019, we knew then that it wasn't necessarily enough because we couldn't have a chat at all hours. Um, ultimately, youth, you know, they generally are coming to us after school in the evenings, but then we also have time zone differences and we've had youth joining from across the world. And so there's no way we could really scale up to meet that need. And we wanted to have something that youth could use in between. Um, and IME really meets that. The other situation is that even though it's anonymous and it's all chat, they're not using video or audio, it still can be scary for a young person to connect with other people if they've never come out. So for those youth who may even be hesitant to join that space, um, really IME is, a, is a yet another scaffolding tool um, and it ultimately meets the same end goals of supporting LGBTQ plus youth. So it made a lot of sense for us to do this. Um, ultimately, most of our member centers, um, they, you know, people talk about creating an app 
but they don't know what goes into it. And being able to partner with an organization like Hope Lab has really enabled us to create that app for all of our centers. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I think it's needed now more than ever um, yes. with everything that's going on, um, with all of these terrible bills that are coming up and um, you know, youth just feeling really closed off um, from, from support systems. So um, really excited to hear, hear all this that's going on. Um, where can folks go to learn more about LGBT um, YouthLink and uh, these initiatives in particular? Absolutely. So LGBT Youth Link is available on the CenterLink website, which is lgbtcenters.org, and it's under programs. And then QChatSpace is qchatspace.org. And IME Guide is IME, I M as in Mary I, dot G U I D E. Come check them out. Great. Yes, please do. And um, as, as our listeners know, you can also go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org. Um, we have a written version of the roundup there, and I'll make sure that all of these links go into our written version of the roundup so that you can also have all of those um, all of those links there in uh, one convenient location. So thank you so much, Deborah. Really excited to have you on and to hear about this. And hopefully we can have you back sometime to tell us how it's going once, once we're a couple months into the launch. I'd love that. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. Okay, now let's jump back to our regular news segments, starting with guidance issued on monkeypox. The WHO published guidance aimed at sexual minority men with respect to the new outbreak of monkeypox, which has been reported in multiple countries and with a disproportionate number of cases among sexual minority men. The WHO notes that while everyone should be on alert with, uh, with respect to the outbreak, the higher number of cases among bi and gay men and the way that the virus spreads through close contact means that LGBT communities are likely going to be at higher risk, at least for the, uh, for the foreseeable future here with the outbreak. They encourage those working in public health to engage in outreach to inform LGBT communities on what they need to know, including ways to keep yourself safe and to quarantine if you think you may have been exposed. And now a related story, debate over communicating the new outbreak. Meanwhile, The Atlantic published an op-ed exploring the challenges of balancing the need to alert sexual minority men to the increased risk within their community, especially with Pride Month now fully upon us, while also not wanting to have monkeypox depicted as a, quote, gay disease, unquote. The author reflects on the extreme stigma connected to HIV that resulted in many people not getting tested at all, but also the risk of not informing the community in a timely and targeted manner. The author proposes direct outreach from public health personnel to gay and bisexual men via social media and other online platforms, which they know will be especially important for those whose local health provider may not be as up-to-date on, um, on the, the outbreak and, and know that this is even something to be concerned of for gay and bisexual men. Next up, making healthcare organizations more inclusive. The National LGBTQIA Plus Health Education Center at the Femway Institute published a guide for how healthcare institutions can implement LGBT-affirming institutional and human resource policies, which they say could help to improve the experience of LGBT patients experiencing care. 
These steps include ensuring that recruitment and advancement opportunities are inclusive of LGBT providers and employees, creating an LGBT-inclusive physical environment, for example, signaling us a safe space and having gender-neutral bathrooms available, and developing partnerships with LGBT organizations and individuals. I think it's interesting that, you know, some of these are actually um, more focused on employees and making sure that that LGBT um, providers and other employees have opportunities for advancement, because obviously, if if we as queer folks can be represented within a healthcare institution, then we're certainly, um, you know, more likely to get better care. So I think that's a great connection to make there. The Education Center also published an update to its previous report on implementing LGBT-inclusive data collection policies in healthcare settings, which I believe is something that we covered um, the original version of back on the podcast when that came out. So nice to see an update there, especially as what we know about um, LGBT-inclusive data collection continues to grow. And our final story for the week takes a look at LGBT views on health insurance. Forbes reported on a new survey finding that one in eight LGBT individuals has experienced discrimination by their health insurer, with reports being much higher among younger age groups than among older LGBT adults. Additionally, a majority of participants did not know if their insurance covered a variety of services that are often um, sought by LGBT individuals, um, for example, things like um, like PrEP and, um, and hormone therapy. Um, still, 32% of participants felt that health insurance was improving overall for LGBT people, compared to only 13% who felt it was getting worse, with the rest obviously um, being unsure or thinking it was staying the same. So definitely, you know, a, a somewhat of a consensus of improvement, although not an overwhelming consensus there. The sample uh, in the 520-person survey appeared to be better insured and better off financially than the average LGBT American, meaning that these numbers you know, may be understating uh, the, the problem with health insurance discrimination and the concerns um, that people have in, in accessing and using it. Well, that does it for another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. If you want to learn more about the services that we discussed during our interview today or any of the news stories that we shared, don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org and you'll find the links to all of those. Um, Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another edition of our Roundup.